Well, we're in for a treat tonight. One of the young lions in the house is bringing us the word, Joseph Pilgrim. He is 21 years old. He has been a manager of Arby's back when they were open. He has uh, delivered pizzas to us when he worked for Papa John's. He currently works for Matco Tools, and he has been a student at Christ for the Nations. And he is my wife's right arm in the youth ministry. And so now we turn it to Joseph Pilgrim, who's also known as Pilgrim. <laughs> Honored to be here in front of all of y'all. Um, turn with me today to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. And while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and open this up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these men that have showed up tonight. We thank you for everybody that's going to listen on the uh, call-in. Father, we just ask you to bless, it, bless our time and bless this message, Father. I've prepared the word, but I, would, I want you to speak through me, Father. Lord, we just ask that each man here receive something that they can go on and, and learn from, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All righty. 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has, come, has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats the evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you're taking notes today... The message is entitled, Redonkulous Faith. I know the paper says overcoming faith, but I think redonkulous faith sounds better. <laughs> How many of y'all know the parable of the sower? Okay. Jesus told a parable of the sower, and uh, it's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 23. And it's where he talked about four types of soil. He told this story to help them think, about what kind of soil they were. The first group of people in the crowd was like a hard, packed-in soil that you kind of walk on. Their hearts were hardened and calloused, and it, like a working man's hands. Nothing that Jesus said or did was going to sink in. They didn't want to. They didn't want the real God to exist. They didn't want God to be God. His teachings made them irritated and uncomfortable. They were, they were tuning into the Jesus show to make fun of him, and usually this made them feel better about themselves. <coughs> the second group of people were like rocky soil. These people had shallow hearts. At first, they seemed like they were committed followers of Jesus. They were happy to wear the T-shirts or the hats, but, so, but as soon as following Jesus became... Uh, made them unpopular, they were going to disappear like the air in the Patriots football during the game. <laughs> the third group is not so much afraid of persecution as much as they are being distracted. They're like the thorn bushes of the world. Think of some things that you could own, like your phone, your car, Things that make you, oh, hang on. Things that people may think about you. What's the, what's the person next to you thinking? God, this guy smells. 
Did he brush his teeth this morning? <clears throat> or even the message that you just got on your phone. When does this texting me? I'm in church. Should I look at it? Should I not? I don't know. These things are ch- were choking the life out of them. Material things often offer pleasure, but are deceptive pleasure. They sing songs and they go to church, but they don't have a real relationship with Christ. They don't have true faith in Christ. The fourth group is good soil. These were the people who heard from Jesus, understood his teaching, and bore, and bore fruit from of changed lives. Um, they made their time worthwhile by hearing the word, softening their hearts, and understanding more and more. They might not get it in the beginning, but they did something with what little they understood. You know, just like when you first start going to church, some of the things you hear, you go, is that really true? Do I I really, am I really saved by grace? Am I really set apart? These people took what they understood and they ran with it. And as they ran with it, their, their faith began to grow the seed sprouted and they grew and they produced crop. So what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil do you want to be? When you're a small child, you often just follow what your parents are doing. You know, you go to church with them or whatever they might do. But once you are no longer a child, it's time to own your faith. Everybody say, own your faith. Own your faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it describes faith as a confidence in things that we hope for that we do not yet see. So what are some things we can help that can help us grow our faith? Come on. Give me answers. Give me answers. Fellowshipping with others. Mm-hmm. What was that? Fellowshipping with others. Fellowship with others. Getting into the Word. Getting into the Word. Prayer. Prayer. Worship. Worship. Anybody else? Getting married. <laughs> Getting married. <laughs> Not yet for me. <laughs> Being tested. Being tested. I got some, I got a few things. Y'all said some of them. One of them is open up our ears. We have to listen to what God's saying. If you're not listening to God, then who are you listening to? You have to deal with your distractions. What's distracting you from getting further in with your walk with God? You have to share what you know. I, you know, I, I know what I've studied, so I'm going to share with what I ha- what I have with everybody that I can. You may not know as much as others. That's fine. Share what you know. Let others build off of what you know. Expect suffering. Come on, guys. We're all human. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to fall. Expect suffering. It happens. Address your attitude. How, how do you how do you deal with a situation when things go wrong? How do you how do you uh, deal with that person that you can't get along with? What do you you know what what's your attitude in that situation? <coughs> Address the things that control you. What can you not break free of? Make time to worship God. Notice I said make time. 
uh, a lot of people say, oh, I don't have the time. Well, you have to make time to do it. In every step, every action, everything that you succeed in, give glory to God. Don't rely on feelings. can't be like your feelings. You can't change underwear every day. And don't coast on the faith of other, other people. Like we said earlier, you have to own your faith. It's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome Satan. We are delivered from the power of darkness and we are translated into the kingdom of God. I'm going to share a little testimony I went through. Like Alan said earlier, I had attended Christ for the Nations. And this kind of happened really quickly. I uh, had a job. I was working as a bread route runner. I would deliver bread and to all the big stores. Come home and I'd be exhausted. Well, my boss at that time made it seem like he was keeping a rap sheet on me. I get a phone call about every 20 minutes. Where are you at? What are you doing? You know, it's, it's, it made it hard to work. It made it hard to accomplish everything that I needed to do in a set time. <clears throat> So I've, I've been in prayer, and I've been talking to Alan and Yvette, and what should I do? I'm not enjoying what I'm doing anymore. What should I do? And about three weeks before I decided to go to CF&I, I got a prophetic word from Tom Stanton. He asked if I would, he said that I should start looking into classes at CF&I. And I, I kind of let that one kind of roll over my shoulder. Two weeks later, so a week before I decided, hey, I'm going to CFNI, I met Eric Holler, who is the son to John Holler, who is now the director at CFNI. And I met his son as well. So at that point, I was like, okay, God, I kind of get it now. I know I'm supposed to go. I know what I'm supposed to do. So I did. I went to CFNI, trusted God that God would help me financially and physically and, you know, help me find a job up to, up there, help me find a church that I could serve in. Well, I got there, found a church um, with Pastor Allen's help, found a church that I could go serve in. About a month, I found a job, but the money wasn't coming in. The financial part of it wasn't coming in. And I had a school bill to pay. <clears throat> and uh, it got it got really difficult at one point because the thing that controlled me was wondering if I was going to pay that school bill or not. Instead of focusing, okay, I got this class, this class, this class, and then I've got to read this book. You know, it was how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to how am I going to get through the next day of college, knowing that I have this you know insurmountable bill in front of me. Um, I got a call from the uh, financial department. They wanted me to see him. And uh, he gave me a week to find the money. I'm in hard prayer, you know, and just believing that God's going to do it. I'm going out. I'm looking for another job. And nothing was coming up. So after about a month and a half of being at CF&I, I had to financially drop out. It was tough. It hurt. I was enjoying my time there. 
the worship was great, the messages were great. You know, that if if you haven't experienced a Tuesday night, I strongly suggest going to a Tuesday night experience at CFNI. They are amazing. You will see some of the most incredible things at a CFNI auditorium that you would never see in in your own personal walk. <clears throat> Back to the story. Uh, I had to financially drop out. When I did, I had to move back to Granbury. I moved everything up to Dallas, was dormed and everything. Well, now I had to move back. So I had to pack my car back up. I moved to Dallas. Well, I didn't know how my dad was going to take it. I didn't know if I was going to be at home or not. <clears throat> so when I showed up to my dad's door, he wasn't home, so I kind of I kind of drove around a little bit. I got kind of got my mind right. I got what I was going to say right. You know, you get, you get in trouble and you think, okay, I got to prepare this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. And that's not right. Let me say this instead. You know, and it's it's hard because your dad, you look up to your dad in a way that, okay, I don't want to let him down. I don't want to do something, fail, and then come back and have to deal with the repercussions. <clears throat> when my dad got home later that night, I had to explain to him what happened. And thank God, he received me with open arms. I was able to stay at his house. And I'm still staying there to this day right now until I can get on my feet. Well, after leaving Dallas, I had no job. So I had to find a job. I, put, I filled out multiple applications. I looked around. Nobody in Granbury seemed to be hiring. And so I, I, I had come to the point where, okay, I'm 21. Let me get my CDL. I'm going to go drive trucks. Are you hungry? <laughs> Man. It's his spirit groaning for me. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I decided to go get my CDO, and I had signed up for the class and everything. But in my spirit, something told me, there's something better for you here. So I, I decided I was going to mend a relationship with the family that had been at this church before. And uh, turns out, I went for a job interview that day, too. The guy that I'm working for now told me he's looking for an assistant and would be willing to pay decent money, enough to get me by. And uh, so I said, okay, this is definitely a God thing. Cause the, you know, when he said there's something better for me, local, this is what he meant. One, I don't get to, I don't have to miss Wednesdays. So I'm here with y'all and I'm here with the youth. Two, I don't miss Sundays because I don't know what my schedule would be like if I was driving a truck. <clears throat> so, but the entire time I never lost faith. The, the entire time I kept, I kept in prayer. I kept, I kept reading the Word. I kept coming to church. I kept, you know, I kept doing the right thing. Kept doing the right thing over and over, trying to make sure that I didn't step out of place to where I would miss an opportunity. And by doing that. God bless me with an opportunity to work for the man I do right now. <clears throat> so, just a little uh, story about myself there. 
Right now I'm going to go ahead and give you seven steps to achieve the highest kind of faith. And I'm going to describe each one of them for you. <clears throat> Step number one is the integrity of the Word of God. The integrity of the Word of God. You need to know what the Word of God is actually... You need to know that the Word of God is actually what it declares itself to be. <clears throat> it is a revelation from God to us. God spoke to these people that wrote these books and compiled them together to give us the Bible that we have today. It is God speaking to us now. Not only is it a book of the past and a book of the future, it's a book of now. <clears throat> it is God-breathed and God-inspired. If you think God's not talking to you, then open the Bible. It doesn't have to be a prophetic word or a message in tongues. The Bible is the Word of God. And He's speaking to us. Don't try to make the Word fit around your beliefs. A lot of people say, well, this part of the Bible really doesn't apply to me because it was written to the Jews. Or, this is the Old Testament and we're living in a new covenant. Well, some of the stuff in the Old Testament still applies to us to this day. And you remember, back in the back in the verses, it says, "Keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome." So the you know the the Old Testament still applies to this day. <clears throat> Don't try to make the word fit around your beliefs. Instead, fit your beliefs around the word. Not what you think it says, the word is truth. <clears throat> Step number two, our redemption in Christ. Colossians 1, 12-14 says, Giving thanks to the Father, which hath made us meet able to, which, is, which had made us meet able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through, the, through his blood, <coughs> even the forgiveness of sin. That was Colossians what? Colossians 1, 12-14. <clears throat> now verse 13, it talks about, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? In Greek, the word power here actually means authority. So it actually says, Who hath delivered us from the authority of darkness? Darkness has authority over this earth right now. And we have the power over that darkness and the authority of that darkness. <clears throat> Notice also... Notice too that it doesn't say that it doesn't say we will hang on. Notice that it doesn't say will deliver us, but it says it already has been done. We've already been delivered. We've already been set apart. Verse fourteen talks about the blood. 
in Revelation 12:11, it says, they have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. There's still power to this day in the blood. Amen. The blood of Jesus is the base of our, basis of our victory, but we have to add our testimony to it. We have to stand firm against the enemy and share the testimony and share our testimony. <clears throat> I want to I want to kind of stay back there on the blood. You know, we we take communion and we we kind of overlook just how how much communion really means to us. A lot of us do. I think oh, we're just, you know, okay, whatever. I'm taking communion. But if you think about it, that the 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 juice or the wine or whatever you may be partaking it with represents his blood. And the blood that he shed for us, the the blood that dripped on the ground as he was crucified, it represents the very being of Jesus and the way that he showed his love for us, that he was willing to die and willing to give up his, his sinless life for all of us. Number three, realize that we are the reality of a new creation. Anybody need the other two steps before I move on? The reality of a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things have passed away. And behold, all new things become new. All things become new, excuse me. When we accept Christ as our Savior, there should be no doubt in our mind. This is not an experience, nor is it a religion, nor a joining of a church. It's a living, daily, and ever-growing relationship with our Father. You know, it's... It's one thing to be on fire for God, then off and on and off and on and off. It's another thing to consistently stay on fire for God in a way that people see it on a day-to-day basis, and they see the growth and the change and the the uh, the way that you act and everything, the way that you do things. It's just you're different than the way you were before. Uh, one thing that's really it really gets to me still. Before I left for college. It's been a long time since I heard my dad say, I'm proud of you, son. My dad, he didn't like that I was coming here. He didn't like that I was doing what I was doing. I wasn't spending time with the family. I was was here a lot, and, you know, I I was getting involved in things that I liked being involved in. And there came a point in time when my dad said, it's either the church or your family. And it was it was tough to hear that from my dad. But I heard something in my spirit say, your earthly father is not treating you the way that a heavenly father would treat you. My heavenly father treated me with love and kindness and respect in a way that I was following him. But yet my earthly father 
had bitterness towards me for everything that I was doing for my Heavenly Father. The week before I left for Bible college, my dad came and pulled me aside and he said, I know what I've said in the past and I know what I've done. He said, but I'm proud of you for making the choice that you've made. I'm proud of you for moving on and getting on with your life. So that was that was that was a tearjerker at that point. <laughs> I'm a big guy, you know. I'm not I'm not one that cries a lot, but I will cry. Way to leave for college. <laughs> right. That was a that was definitely a uh, definitely a God moment there. Even if my dad doesn't know it, it definitely was. <clears throat> Don't dwell in your past. This isn't another step. This is just adding on to step three. Don't dwell in the past. A lot of us stumble over the past. A lot of us don't get over our past selves in a way that it causes us to stumble in the long run. You know, we may have done something when we were 18 and when we were 40, all of a sudden it catches back up to us. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, it says, I even, or I, even I, am he that blotteth out our transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. And this is God talking, obviously. <clears throat> so if God doesn't remember your transgressions and your sins, then why should we? What keeps us remembering those things? I'm, I'm actually open to question, answer on this one. What, what causes you to remember those things? What uh, what keeps you from letting go of the past? The guilt of the past. Guilt of the past. The accuser reminding you of it. That's right. The accuser reminding you of it. Pain of regret. Pain of regret. Mm-hmm. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Yeah, when you're married, it happens a lot. You remind of the past on both sides. Mm-hmm. Is that just from the wife? I don't know what that's like yet. I hope to experience it one day. But yes, being married. Anything else? Nobody? Okay, we're good. All right. The past is the past. You have to, you know, a lot of people say, you have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and walk on. Past is the past. Eventually, at one point, you're going to have to get over the past and start looking towards your future. Remember earlier I asked, what kind of soil are you? Your past can sometimes keep you in that soil that you don't want to be in. And then the next question I ask is, what kind of soil do you want to be? You have to let go of your past to become that soil that you want to be. Step number four. The reality of our fellowship with the Father. The reality of our fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with God is key to the growth of our faith. Just like food when you grow up as a child. How many of y'all could live off of one meal a day? Or excuse me, one meal a week. My apologies, I missed, I didn't look at my notes. One meal a week. All of us could. It wouldn't be fun. You could... <laughs> But how long could you do it for? 
What about two meals a week? How about Sunday and Wednesdays? Two meals a week. Think about it. What am I fixing to reference? Your spiritual life. If you only apply God in your life, Sundays and Wednesdays, how much are you going to grow? How much is your faith going to grow? How much is your relationship with God going to grow? The thing I would add on that, one meal a week, the beginning it looked like the people at Auschwitz when they came out, uh-huh. the survivors. The other ones died because they didn't survive long enough. Right. That's what you look like. If you want to put a graphic picture in front of you, 70 years ago, that's what the world saw. Yeah. A meal a week. One meal a week. Okay, so one meal a week. When you think about one meal a week, how much time is that one meal a week? Is it 30 minutes? Is it an hour? Is it all day? When we talk, when we talk about a relationship with God, and I, I'm really challenging y'all to stretch, you know, some of us spend two days, some of us might go three days, and some of us are seven days a week, 24-7. Hey, praise Jesus, hallelujah. You know, some of us are like that. <clears throat> but I'm challenging you to I'm challenging you to today to spend ten minutes a day. Start with ten minutes. Wake up ten minutes earlier. Go to bed ten minutes later. Whatever you have to do. Spend ten minutes a day with God and you'll find yourself spending an hour a day, two hours all day. It becomes a habitual habit but it's a good habit. I just basically said that. When we make time for God in our everyday lives, we start to grow in in a dramatic way. Step number five. The reality of the authority in Jesus' name. The reality of the authority in Jesus' name. You have authority over sickness, over disease, over financial struggles, over marital problems. Any kind of struggle that you might be facing, you have power and authority in Jesus' name. When you ask for something in Jesus' name, whether it's healing, all this stuff I just listed out, or anything of of such nature, it will come to pass. He has given us power over demonic forces and said, He would give us whatsoever you should ask in my name. Whatsoever. When we think about the authority of Jesus' name, you know, you think of, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But when you think about the authority that you have with Jesus, it talks about faith as if it were a mustard seed. Not faith as small as a mustard seed, but faith as if it were a mustard seed. When you think about a mustard seed, it's puny when it starts out. But when a mustard seed gets fed and it grows, it becomes ginormous. And what we're saying by faith like a mustard seed, 
is your faith has to grow in a way. Step number six, the reality of our righteousness. The reality of our righteousness. Jesus said to be salt of the earth and light of the world. It's in Matthew 13 through 14. Matthew 5, 13 through 14. <coughs> in order to be salt and light, we have to stay in the world. We don't have to be of the world. We have to stay in the world, though. Doing the work of the Father. All of y'all have jobs in a way, shape, or form. How many of y'all have somebody at your workplace that y'all don't like? What are you laughing for? (laughs) (laughs) You may sit there and pray, God, get me out of this situation. Get me out of this job. Get me... Give me a promotion so I can get away from this person that I don't like. But think about it this way. What if you're the only person that that guy sees that's a Christian? Mm. What if you're the only person that can speak life into that situation that he's dealing with that can change his life in a dramatic way? We talk about being salt and light in the earth. You have to walk the walk if you're going to talk the talk. Your life represents Christ, and if you represent him in a negative way, then Christians get a bad name. Yet if you shared the love of Jesus to them, they might change their ways and become totally engaged with Christ. You just saved their life. And finally, step number seven. The reality of the Holy Spirit inside of us. The reality of the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We all know that. We're able to use our senses. We touch, we see, we smell, we taste, and we hear. But the Holy Spirit is kind of like a sixth sense. How many of y'all seen that movie? I've never seen it. That's supposed to be a good movie. It says, greater is he who is in me than who is in the world. The Holy Spirit works through us, and when we become conscient, when we become conscientious of his power, it is then we truly see miracles, signs, and wonders that only God can ordain. So when I talk about how we see these miracles happen, you know, a lot of people say, well, there's no miracles in the church anymore. We don't see people's arms going out or we don't see people getting healed from wheelchairs anymore. You have to engage the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis in a way that it becomes second nature. You know, it's it's and and you don't lose sight of what it really is. You don't lose sight of how powerful the the Holy Spirit is, because once the Holy Spirit starts to move, anything can happen. <clears throat> I remember a certain incident. Rich Siff and I, like I said, if you haven't been to a, to a Tuesday night experience you got to go. They're just awesome. The worship's great. The, the word is always great. So, But I remember this one guy in particular, Dutch Sheets. Amazing preacher. Amazing evangelist. And I remember 
hearing this story that he told. He was in some third world country. I can't remember which country it was. And they talked about this boy. And they had a four-day conference. First day the boy was in a wheelchair, didn't really do much. Didn't move hardly at all. He'd actually been confined to a wheelchair since birth. And some kind of disc in his neck that was crushed or something like that that where he could not walk at all. Couldn't move any any motorly functions whatsoever. <coughs> On the second night, the kid was able to raise his hands. Third night, kid started tapping his foot to the beat of the music. On the fourth night, he was running around the building. Talk about signs, miracles, and wonders that only God can ordain. This guy talked about that, and you can see all the people in the crowd go, the jaw dropped because they want that. We want to see signs, miracles, and wonders that only God can ordain for us. And as a church, we, we strive to see that on a week-to-week -week basis. We strive to see people get saved. We strive to see people get healed of disease or of an ailment or anything like that. And so when we talk about using the Holy Spirit, we talk about building up faith in a way that the Holy Spirit moves in us without us even knowing in a way. <clears throat> in 1 John 5, 1, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. How are you going to love the people that irritate you? How are you going to love the people that um, you just honestly don't like? You know, I've got a little little brother. And little brothers are the best, but there's a 10-year age difference between the two of us. And he irritates me to no end. <laughs> I don't know if any of y'all have met him. I think Alan has. But he is, he's funny, but yet he can be irritating. And you just have to catch him on a good day. Here lately, he hasn't had a good day. And so it's like, I'm going to, no, I have to love you because you're my brother. And not only are you my brother physically, but also spiritually you're my brother. You may not know it yet because you haven't experienced what I have through God, but you are my brother. And you're my brother, and you're my brother, and you're my brother, and you're my brother, and each and every one of you are my brothers, spiritually, through Christ. And honestly, I can say all, I love each and every one of you. It's been honor and a pleasure to be up here to do this, and I know that I'm not the best at this, because, you know, I'm still young, I'm still in line, I'm still like, you know. The same. I don't know why. I'm always good to the kid. I don't get it. I may, you know, I don't get it. Sometimes I just don't get it. <clears throat> the way I want to end this. That's right. The way I want to end this is I, I want to break up into small groups of five. In fact, there's perfect number for five in each group. And I want to talk about ways we can increase our faith. I want to talk about ways we can challenge each other in a way that, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable for what you just said that you're going to try and increase yourself in. I'm going to hold you accountable in a way that 
we're going to succeed in raising our faith as a as a as a men's group and as a church body. Redonkulous faith. How are you going to live your life? That's all I have. Only that internet could have brought up that word redonkulous. No. That's the word you're fighting Where did I find redonkulous? In a book. <laughs> I can't believe the book let him write it out. Because every time I typed it in my iPad, it showed a red line under it. But yeah, redonkulous. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray real quick, and then we'll break up into small groups. And uh, let's get challenging. Father God, I just thank you so much for each one of these men that showed up tonight. I thank you for the men that called in. Father, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak in front of these these men right here and right now. Father, I hope that... <coughs> in this small group time, that we can learn something about each other and that we can challenge each other in a way that we've never been challenged and that we can hold people accountable for what they want to achieve with their life, with their, with their careers, with their marriage, with their financial status. Father, we just, I just bless each and every one of these men right now. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.